On the show today, aging rock stars, Warhammer Minus, and dueling banjo bards in three, two, one. I don't know if the theme song is more Mega Man or Captain. I still cannot figure this out. It's Sonic the Hedgehog. It's Sonic the Hedgehog. It's Sonic the Hedgehog, not Mega Man. Okay, if any of you are out there, does the theme song remind you more of Mega Man or Sonic? We're still trying to figure this out. Anyway, oh, welcome to Total Double Knockdown, everybody. I'm Nathan. And I am Alex. And uh, we are the Mega Man and Sonic of gaming I think that's I hope how... not. <laughs> that would be a terrible idea. We're um, the pebble stars of, of we're gaming the... podcasts. Yes. We are but the pebbles in the boulder that is the gaming space. And we've got some things to talk about on this episode. So the first thing up is Weekly Muse. And I didn't really think that we were going to do a Weekly Muse this week, but then something kept coming up every time I turned on any kind of gaming news whatsoever. And well, you got to remember, Weekly Muse means we have to do one every week, apparently. We don't have to do one every week. No, if, if we, we don't. Have, if we have nothing that bemuses or inspires us, then we don't really need to talk about it. If there's nothing amusing uh, about it? Yes, exactly. If there's nothing that requires our musings and the week, we do not need to do a Weekly Muse. But, but this week we do. Uh, because, boy, Rockstar... What happened? Uh, there. So, in case anybody has been living under a pebble, we had this uh, thing come out from Rockstar, which was the uh, the definitive edition of uh, GTA 3, Vice City, and San Andreas. And it did not go well at all. Did they preempt this at all, by the way? Or was it just suddenly pebbles fall and here's a definitive edition they've been talking about this for a little while and way back in like april or something like that um the leadership over at rockstar was like well we don't rush products out to market folks and it's like oh you might want to talk to grove street games which by the way is the company that they got to do the uh the definitive editions and, and everything like that uh so a few problems only a few yeah, so I guess we should start with the obvious thing, which is the graphical and technical issues. There are a lot of people that have been putting the side-by-side screenshots of the original games and the new ones, and the new ones somehow look worse, even though they're graphically, like, cleaner. They, they don't have the pixelation, like, the resolution is higher, but whatever they did to the character models and the, the graphic parts, I don't know what they were thinking. It's... Is it an artifact of upscaling from PS2 era graphics oh, to current? No, if only, Alex. If only. No, it looks like they did remodels of these, uh, of these characters and everything. 
and I don't know why. Like, they gave Tommy Versetti fingernails, but they, and he didn't have fingernails in the original. Apparently, everyone was hoping that he had them. And, but now that they have them, they are so glaringly obvious in every single thing. They are, like, the only thing you see when you turn on the game. They, they have characters that used to look like regular characters. They were shown, like, Denise in, in San Andreas. She, you know, she looked perfectly fine. Now she looks like the rejected models from The Sims. I don't know why, but oh, they ch- they changed the whole graphical... St- there are characters that look... There are characters that have, like, Ryder. They showed... His arm looks like a gorilla arm now <laughs> in the cutscenes. It's huge! The level of non-detail that they tried to put into this they tried to reskin the backs of like jerseys and you can tell that they just like painted over a nine over a seven because they decided they wanted the nine on the jersey instead of the seven you could see like the seven behind the nine (laughs) they didn't even just reskin it with a new number on it some other weird things uh rain when it rains in these games the rain is so obvious you can't see What's going on? It's bright rain right in front of you. It doesn't wrap around like the objects in the game. So you can see the halos of the rain around everything. Um, They eliminated the fog, which you would think, oh, cool, they eliminated the fog. But what happens now is that if you're flying away from the map, you now see all the map all the way to the borders of the map all around it because the fog was supposed to give you this sense of of scale yeah fog is also used to hide boundaries exactly and apparently Um, they didn't get that memo yeah there's this handy thing when you have fog in level design Mm. uh, where you can use fog to obscure things in the distance so that you do not need to load the entire map in at once Right, and that used to be a technical limitation in a lot of ways, you know, they just, they couldn't render the whole thing. And um, it's it's not necessarily technical now, it's more visual, it's not, it, it's so the game can save on those resources. Like, if you right. don't need to see something a mile away in game, because you wouldn't be able to see it because there's stuff in the way, then there's no reason to render that in. Right. For your reference, what I'll do is I will just drop an article that I just happen to be looking at. Oh, sure. Uh, I'll look at this because I have. For, yeah, oh, you're, what is? You're, yep. What is wrong with his arms? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Whoa. Yeah, no, I was not kidding here, Alex. This is not. This is not like a. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know they had this kind of issue in the hoods in the nineties. Yeah. Well, they, they, <laughs> gigantism in your arms. Yeah. No. This, rubbering. Th- yeah. Is this, this one of the Incredibles? It's one of the Incredibles, exactly. And you can see as as they show the different character models. I have no idea what. I <laughs> I don't I don't know. Um, there's just, there's, there's some really weird things that they decided to do. I feel like they would have been much better if they just literally upscaled the resolution. If they just did an HD. But they, they didn't. They decided to try and, I guess, reskin it. And, you know, if you're looking at, like, Vice City and it's at night and you see all the neon colors and everything, yeah, that, that looks, that looks pretty good. They tried to do reflective textures and stuff like that, but I I don't know what they were thinking with that. And if that was the end of it, 
we'd probably go, oh, okay, they pulled a cyberpunk or something like that. <laughs> they, they I pulled... mean, yeah. I mean, this is a game that's been out uh, since PS2. Oh yeah. Especially like San Andreas. Oh yeah. Um, which was which was really good at the time. Oh yeah. So for them to take a game that people remember fondly, like San Andreas, and really screw it up oh, yeah. as a remaster, essentially, that's. Mm. Not good. Especially when they can point to mods that the community made that are much better than what the officially licensed piece is. A lot of broken missions. People are reporting uh, mini games. Uh, there are things that uh, make it incredibly unplayable. The uh, rain is one of those things. Uh, audio. Oh, yes. Should mention this is the definitive edition. There are less songs in these games because of licensing oh. issues than the original games. Why would they not be able to use the same soundtrack? They had they had problems apparently with some of the original licensed soundtracks, I guess, and they decided mm -hmm. to not have them in there. So okay. less songs in less the songs, so more the, on repeat in the definitive edition. So there is that. There's uh, there's also some other things that are weird, uh, like you may have remembered once upon a time there was the uh, infamous hot coffee incident. Yeah, the hot coffee incident. That's a legendary. Yeah, the thing that was not in the game, but then if you mod because you go into the code, you can you can have the hot coffee mod and mm, it's spicy. Well, they had redone the game and they had eliminated that code so nobody could accidentally mod or, or glitch it so that you had the hot coffee mission somehow the code got back in in the edition i don't know how that happened but there you go and um so we got hot coffee again no i mean it's not in the game but it's in the code so if the modders wanted to do it they, they could mod it to the back of the game. Nathan, the one thing that you screwed up with that sentence yeah. was if the modders wanted to do it. Yes, the modders want to do it. Have you met the modding community? Yeah, exactly. Anything they can put in the game, they'll put in the game. Exactly. Uh, it just it made it a lot easier. So who knows what they're planning listen, on doing. Yeah. Listen, San Andreas already allowed you to get a gimp suit. Oh, yeah. And a giant purple dildo that you could use as a baseball bat. Yes. I, to this day, I think it is probably one of the stupidest video game controversies of all time that, um, uh-oh, there was, like, a completely closed-on sex minigame that was somewhere buried in the code when you can literally fire rockets into public areas and you can fly around in a an Apache helicopter and I mean, just mow people down. But you could also pick up prostitutes. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, all and the time. And then murder them for money? Well, you run them back over with the car to get you, get your money. However back, you want to kill them. Listen, it's yeah. it's a free money business. Exactly. Exactly. The point is, is that in a world like, like GTA that has no rules, it's amazing that that was the thing people were upset about. And somehow it made it back in even after they had remade the discs so that it didn't have that. But it gets better. Oh boy. It gets better. Because I guess what happened is Rockstar decided that they are now Blizzard. Because they tried to do a Reforged. And they took down the old games. 
yeah. so that they can't be purchased so that you'd have to purchase the new <laughs> there's a lot of ga- not just activision blizzard too there's a lot of game companies that do that when they're like yeah we're gonna re-release this i know bethesda for instance took down the original version of skyrim to put the skyrim special edition mm. in the store for purchase so uh, we were talking briefly before i've got the og version of skyrim from steam oh yeah um and then they replaced that later with the special edition and then oh yeah other i'm sure other editions they have too oh yeah um, yeah um, so like i can't buy the version i have anymore yeah it's fun that way it's fun that way yeah um to be fair in some cases it makes sense to remove products that are inferior oh yeah or you know older or not compatible with newer systems that makes sense maybe mm-hmm say if you want a game that's from the xbox that can't be compatible with your xbox excuse me with your xbox one oh sure or whatever that makes sense it's like don't offer it if they can't play it oh right but don't don't pull a warcraft 3 is now going to be warcraft 3 reforged and you can no longer play the original warcraft 3 even though this game is now inferior to the earlier game and doesn't have the bugs fixed mm-hmm yeah. So, the upshot of all of this is, is we get hot coffee. Is we the hot coffee apparently gets back in there, but um, it has led to a collective Metacritic user score of 0. 0.5. 0. 0.5. 0. 0.5 is That's what a <laughs> very low Metacritic user score. That is below a one out of ten. Yeah, that's uh, a lot lower than a one out of ten. It's a one out of twenty. That's a point five out of ten, I guess, is what you're looking at. That's a five out of one. Yeah, and considering, yeah. considering that this is like literally a collection of three whole games <laughs> uh, that at one point were lauded for their, uh, you know, open world and their creativity and everything is uh, pretty fantastic uh, and amazing. Um, for some reason, on Game Pass. I apparently have access to the San Andreas uh, Definitive Edition, so if I do play some of it, I will see if there's anything weird with it. I might have oh, to good. come back and report. Uh, on that note, I think I have a PS2 version of San Andreas laying around somewhere if anyone wants to buy it for lots of money. <laughs> oh yeah, because there's apparently it's apparently not uh, going to be good if you try to buy it new. We're uh, just going to title this segment Hot Coffee Redux. Yes. Um, according to the Gaming Bolt article, uh, it does say that game, Grove Street Games seems to be enjoying the scrutiny, or so the developers say. Yeah, I'm sure. They love it. Yeah, they're and ecstatic the, to have their games ripped apart for and, being absolutely terrible remakes. Right, and the developers promised that fixes will be coming soon. Whether an update will fix the game's current reception in the future remains to be seen. Yeah, um... Yeah, uh, you know, I didn't really expect us to have to worry about live service models for, like, 12-year-old games, but here we are, apparently. Here we are. Here we go. For a $60 price tag, the price of a new game, it's pretty sad that they did a slapdash. If you want to think of it in the best of terms, it's $60 for three games. Three, but three. They're only paying 20 for each game. So you can be so you can be sad three times in a row. <laughs> yes, basically. you can be sad that you spent sixty dollars for three games. Yes, that are just terrible. That are just terrible. So and it's three times as sad as instead of just 
the once. Exactly. Giving you three times the sadness at one convenient price. <laughs> it's $60. That's the price for sadness. Yes. <laughs> the price of sadness. <laughs> so, hey, available on Xbox, PS5, Switch, and PC. And, hey, don't you feel great? Uh, also, I guess one of the reasons why they wanted to pull it from, like, Steam and all those other marketplaces is because Rockstar has their own gaming site that they want to get people to download it from instead of so, all the other ones. we're going to have to do one of our segments about every game having its own launching service. Oh, yes. Uh, so many launchers. Too many launchers. Yeah. Is what to do that. Too many launchers. Too many launchers. Uh, because, uh, yeah, it's the console wars, but for the P- PC era, guys, it's great. Maybe wait until they do something about it and see if it gets any just better. But just keep the original versions. Keep the original versions, and boy, that's a, it's, it's a bad place for them to be right now. So, uh... It's been a little while since we've done a soapbox, and uh, Ben, we did one for Dark Souls not that long ago. We did one for Dark Souls. It was a few episodes ago, but uh, you had brought something up actually before we started doing the show, and uh, yeah, I, it's been going on for a little while. Yeah, and so I I do want to let you lead this particular soapbox uh, because you did send me a bunch of important stuff for me to look at, but. Uh, Tell me what our soapbox is about regarding Warhammer. Today on our soapbox, we get to discuss Games Workshop. <sighs> Who some of you may know that create wonderful titles such as Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer 40,000. And boy, mm. this one's fun. <laughs> uh, because Games Workshop uh, in the past has been pretty hit or miss with a lot of people. Uh, very pricey products in their pro- uh, miniature lines. Some pretty well-received video games that they did not make themselves, but their IP, obviously. But boy, boy, lately they're just not fun for anybody, really. So I believe this all started with the launch of their new streaming service, Warhammer Plus. Very inventive title. Very in- You remember when we had Delve Plus? Yeah, I do. Yeah. That was in jest, and unfortunately, <laughs> it is no longer in jest, because even at my night job, uh, we've got a sign there that is Walmart Plus. That's a oh, thing great. that you can sign up for. It's a service. Terrific. So we inadvertently called the future out. Um, cool. But Warhammer Plus is a streaming service a la Netflix, the mm-hmm. Netflix of Warhammer, if you will. Right. It's focusing on animations and I believe some battle reports and the like. And first off there, personally, I go, do they have enough content to make Warhammer Plus a streaming service that has anything on it worth watching? So I sent you a bunch of videos <laughs> uh, from a YouTuber named Arch. Uh, we can probably link him in down there if you want, if anyone wants to check him out. Um, and I've been kind of following along with this. He's done some really scathing. I don't even think they're scathing at this point. I think they're just calling them out. Uh, a bunch of videos now about 
Ah, man. Warhammer Plus being shady and garbage and the content being laughable and then a bunch of other stuff where... Oh, let's see. Games Workshop has come after the fan creators on YouTube with cease and desist uh, orders. You know, what you really, really want to do if you're trying to expand your brand and bring more people into it is to uh, go after the people making content off your IP. Right, right. And here's the thing. And Arch did a great video about this one, and I totally agree. And a couple other uh, YouTubers, I've listened to one from uh, Brava Alphabusa, who does the If the Emperor Had a Text-to-Speech Device series, which has millions of views on YouTube. <laughs> and he had this one video that he put out more recently because of this. And it was, yeah, we're going on indefinite hiatus because with the new um, updates to their terms and their uh, policies. I forget which part of it. Um, essentially, it's like, we're not sure if they're going to try and sue us if we continue doing this parody mm -hmm. series about Warhammer. And it's like, we love the universe and we love all the stuff going on, but like we cannot support that and we can't put our livelihoods at risk because no. of a company pulling this bullshit. Yeah. Um, and it's sad because a bunch of creators... Uh, that use the Warhammer universe, which is a really long lasting. It's been around since the 80s. Sure. Warhammer's been around since the 80s. And, um, you know, these people who love the universe, who make this content out of fun and, yes, make a living doing it, it's like they don't want to be sued because they're making money off of it and seen as uh, inflammatory to that uh, IP. Right. Um, so that's just the tip of that iceberg, Nathan. I know you watched a bunch of uh, videos recently because I sent them to you to kind of understand this whole dumpster fire right. that is going on with GW right, right now. Yeah, so so I did get that, a lot, a lot of fan-made content and all of that that they're going after, uh, which I never really support and I never really understood. I've seen it a lot. Um, yeah, Nintendo actually. It's a, like too, but yeah. Well, Nintendo typically doesn't do that stuff unless people are making fan games. For instance, uh, is oh, most yeah. often I feel like what you see with Nintendo, like uh, Pokemon Uranium, which right. was just a fan-made game. And I understand IP law says that you need to protect the integrity of your IP <laughs> so that other people can't take it. If you lapse it, then you cannot claim that as your own. IP laws are really interesting in that way. They're kind of shitty but protect your ip because you have to right. so that's one thing mm -hmm. but if people are making parodies or using your world to make content um talking about it, even lore videos and stuff like that mm -hmm. um that shouldn't be an issue that is giving you free publicity even arch was saying there have been tons of people who get into the warhammer universe for either his content or other uh, YouTubers, for instance, that make content right. dealing with Warhammer, the text-to-speech device, I would throw people at that because it was a, just a whimsical series. Oh, sure. And they're like, I don't really know much about Warhammer. I'm like, well, you don't need to know a whole lot, but here's some videos that this guy does that are absolutely, absolutely hilarious. Sure. But also really on the nose with the Warhammer canon. Like, yeah. it does it diverge a bit? Yes. Is it pretty on the point? Also, yes. Sure. Um, so with the Pokemon Uranium, yes, I can see them saying, hey, you can't make this game. I know it's right. a fan game, but you can't be using our, our IP to make your games. You got to use your own. 
Sure. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. Going after your fan creators who are, again, giving you free publicity to people to get them into your hobby and to your stores and to buy your books and your media. Oh, yeah. That's dumb. Yep. That is self-sabotage. It is the... Uh, essentially, War Warhammer is not a big fan of the people that like Warhammer. So, yeah, <laughs> Warhammer kind of hates people that like Warhammer in a lot of ways. The thing that I was fascinated with, and I probably watched the most about, was actually the Warhammer Plus service that they were making, because I don't understand what they wanted to do. It's like it's like a paid subscription service, I guess, like Netflix. Mm-hmm. But it it what it has Warhammer content on it, so like you know, I guess articles and some animation pieces you can watch. So it's got some of their White Dwarf magazine articles. Okay, great magazines, battle reports, okay. which are game reports from the tabletop. Okay, I believe. Uh, I think they wanted to have some painting stuff on there, anyways, like how to paint or showing people how to paint stuff. Oh, sure. Uh, which is okay, cool. Yeah. Um, because they're people who play Warhammer or hobbyists, and then the animations and the uh, video content, the series, which yeah. they did go ahead and um basically buy out some people that made fan creations. Okay. And they were like, "Yo, we want you to come make stuff for us." And we'll pay you for it, mm-hmm. but it, in doing so, you cannot be doing it on your own like YouTube channel anymore. You have oh, to take yeah. all your other content down, and right. you can only do it for us. Right. Which is also kind of a little shady. Like, eh. yes, I understand you want to own, the, own their work now right. to do on your platform only, and you can say you can't have a non you can have a non compete clause. I understand that, mm-hmm. but to have them remove it when that stuff people like. And then would still go from that to their new stuff, allegedly. Yeah. Seems a bit weird. It It's weird. I'm kind of of two minds on that. I, I appreciate when companies see that there's people that can do a better job with some stuff. And will go, oh, well, instead of going after you, we'll actually, like, bring you in. It's sort of like when they made Portal off of, like, Half-Life, and then they basically hired the crew to, to do the actual game. Or the one more recent one is uh, in The Mandalorian. Disney had put The Mandalorian out for Star Wars, and they had the um, the facial, like, de-aging for Mark Hamill to make him look younger. And a bunch of these folks that, like, do deep fakes, they were like, we could do a better job with that to make it look way more like the actual Mark Hamill from the original show. And they did, and it looked amazing. It looked literally like Mark Hamill in the original Star Wars trilogy. And instead of Disney kind of going, "Oh, I don't want you to do that," they were like, "Actually, we're hiring you to work on the show now." Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's great. the The thing I have a problem with, though, is saying that now I can't also create like original content on my own if it's well, not something I'm contracting with you for. Well, one of those things I think is okay is the non-compete clauses that you can do. Mm-hmm. It's like if you work with a place, they don't want you to do something that's in competition to what they do. Mm. So say Warhammer does not want you to go ahead and make something that would draw people away from their content. 
fair. So yeah. if you make your own content, I believe that is nothing to do with that brand. It's sure. totally a different thing. Yeah. But don't make something that's in competition. Yeah. It's kind of uh, kind of like the um, if you work at a place, they don't want you to open up. A, if you quit a place, they don't want you to open up a business for X amount of time uh, in competition with them or near yeah. them. You know, it's yeah. one of those things. Sure. Um, but that, yeah. but that, Nathan, gets you into their NDA if you watch some of those videos. Mm, yeah, I, I'm interested in that uh, as much as I was in the video tutorial about making your characters uh, just just a, a sheen of regular black, like the painting tutorial of just just matte black. <laughs> for the, but but the NDA. Uh, kind of a fascinating thing going on, uh, basically just like, well, you can't have negative press about us. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you can't criticize us, uh, for creators that are in the space, and that they're, you know, if you, if you sign up, I, I mean, this is my understanding, you can correct me on this, but that, uh, essentially, if you take this deal, Warhammer will be like, oh yeah, I know you can make stuff content in, in our realm, but, you cannot criticize us in any way, shape, or form. And you cannot basically disparage us or critique us in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And it's for, like, three years. For three years. Great. Yeah. So it's an NDA for the stuff that's going on, and then you cannot say anything negative about Games Workshop. And right. I, I would have to watch one of the videos again on it for a refresher, but it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, What? Mm-hmm. You're you're gonna make these people sign NDAs to be able to talk about Warhammer, but they can't talk about anything negative at all. Talk about anything negative. Okay. Yeah. What? I That's mean, just all sorts of shady things. All sorts. Yeah. Warhammer hates their fan creations. They hate their fans. They don't care about their users. They want to burn in the dumpster fire. And that would be our opinion for the day, basically. <laughs> and it's 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 sad too because one such a long running um, IP in the gaming space. But I know that you have a very long history with Warhammer as a brand as well. I enjoy the lore. I enjoy the universe. I enjoy a bunch of the games that take place in that mm-hmm. universe. It's interesting. I have a tattoo that is from Warhammer. So it's like it really disappointing to me to see the company that owns this IP is just being complete fucking garbage to yeah. their fans and their creators in the community and just not paying any attention to them yeah. and not caring. Yeah. It's it's shady and shitty to say the least. Mm-hmm. We will leave a link in the description to the channel that I had Nathan watch as well. Yeah. He does a much better job explaining this stuff than we do. There are many videos that he's done so far. They are all very uh, enlightening, to say the least. Also, he has a pleasant Scottish accent. Mm. I believe it's Scottish. Some um, kind of thing from the British Isles. Yeah, I um, think it's Scottish. But, but if you want to learn more about this entire Warhammer controversy or Games Workshop controversy, uh, watch some of his videos. Sure. Send him some love. Or good. just fire, fuel for the fire against Games Workshop, perhaps. Right. Because um, 
sometimes the companies like Games Workshop will kind of fall under the radar because people might not be looking at them as much as some of the larger creations in the space. Like, sure. but if if this was being done by like Wizards of the Coast, uh, yeah, it's yeah, like there there'd be like screaming all over the place. Oh yeah. Um, but I think because Games Workshop is a little bit more niche with Warhammer. Uh, as, as it stands, it apparently doesn't want to break out of that at all because they they, they, have they apparently don't want to even sell minis anymore. So who knows? Great, terrific. Uh, then uh, it's why it kind of falls by the wayside. I think that the interesting takeaway that I was getting from watching all of that is this notion that maybe, maybe, maybe Games Workshop is not quite as interested in the actual Warhammer like game itself as much as using the ip for other projects yeah and that's definitely one of the things that uh, arch hit on as well yeah where it just seems like they're trying to pull away from the gaming part of games workshop to focus on uh their videos their novels their everything else their interactive media the gaming like um video games oh sure um and I guess it kind of makes sense. They have a lot of lore and a lot of world to work with. And there are game companies that make games that sell really well. Mm. To be fair, uh, the Warhammer uh, gaming space for video games is a mixed bag of complete garbage and absolute gems. So, I, I liked Inquisitor Martyr, um, but it... I had optimization issues that kept me from enjoying it as much as I probably would have. Well, you can probably play it on your new computer. That's true. I probably Just don't play it on the highest settings because it's still not optimized at all. <laughs> fair fair uh, enough. Yeah. I am friends with one of the people that's still working on the game. Good. And he's like, it's it's not optimized. Hundred <laughs> percent not it's, optimized. It's not. eighty million triangles. Wow, that's a lot of triangles for their for their graphic design. Yeah, processes all. It's very processor heavy. Um, also, new classes coming up for that soonish as a DLC. Oh, very good, very so, good. Soonish, twenty twenty two. But yeah. new new class. If you um, like that kind of thing. If you're into that shit. I still enjoy that game and I already bought it, so I'll probably still play it, but Right. Um now I did also touch on briefly like something like Vermintide I did try to play, but it, that's not my kind of game. Those those are more like like four player co op PvP PvE like game. It, it's a killing floor type game, yeah. I, I wasn't I wasn't big on them, but eh, I guess I guess you try a bunch of different things <laughs> and see see what sticks. Uh, who knows? Maybe a mobile game next. That would be fun. But maybe it'll be San Andreas oh on my. mobile. Oh, but <laughs> you know, you know, I'm sure Grove Street Games is looking for their next project. <laughs> games Workshop. Hey, I'll tell you, if you're looking for something, it'd be amazing. So takeaway from the soapbox this uh, week. Uh, Earn in hell games workshop. That and um, <laughs> you know if you're uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna make your fans the adversary, uh, don't be surprised when it affects your overall IP and visibility. Yeah, and your stocks plummeting. Yeah, and that too. That too.
So, this week we get to end things on a crit think. I don't know if I want to say it that way every single time. I don't think you want to say it that way this time. Crit think. Uh, we're going to have a crit think about hot coffee. No, what we're going to do is we're going to have a crit think um, about dueling campaigns. And so the question that I am posing... Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> dueling banjo campaigns. Uh, yeah, we'll just do a musical RPG and that will work. Um, so, um, Space Pirates the Musical? Yes, that is dueling banjo campaigns. What the question is at the start here for crit think... Crit think! Is, uh, can you make a dueling campaign? That's the yeah. Basic. You just you just have duels the entire time. <laughs> one on one duels. Okay, maybe I need to explain that a little bit better. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. What what I'm talking about, and I'm actually glad. Uh, I will try to leave a link to uh, Helicity had made a little Twitter thread about um, what to do when you're. Uh, party is a little too high power, you know, and, and uh, one of the things he was talking about was the idea that uh, you could actually create, as like the GM, another party that might have similar goals and is in somewhat of an adversarial relationship to your party. And I remembered, oh yeah, that reminds me of something I was really looking forward to talking about, the idea of whether you could do a thing where you actually had not really a party, but you had two separate parties of, like, two different kinds, two sets of players, essentially, that are both looking to achieve the same basic goal. And so now they are in a position where they have to compete against each other um, in order to achieve that goal before the other team does. Kind of making more of a PvP version. or They're a- playing Survivor. The RPG. You're basically, it's kind of like Survivor the RPG. Yeah. And it's going to be funny. It's going to be fun to see who decides to be what. Uh, yeah, and who falls in the fire. Who falls in the fire and who decides to just be naked all the time. It's going to be hilarious. Most of them. Most of them. Because we just, talked about this. They don't yeah. wear clothes. No, you don't wear clothes. Uh, yeah, exactly. Clothing is optional in all RPGs. But. I'm trying to figure out how you actually set this up. If we were going to do a dueling campaign, can that work? How will I set this up? How do we determine what the teams are going to be? And who's going to be in them? There, there's a lot of different factors that go in there. So I think you would need to break it down into each of those separately. Okay. Uh, for instance, um, who is in it would depend on people's schedules for that sense. Right, right. Like, who's available now, who's available then kind of deal. Um, sure. That one's more logistics than... Sure. Game. Okay. Are you thinking, uh... Well, I mean, what might help with the scheduling too, in that case, is if you are literally just talking to one team at one point and then another team at another point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would not set it up so you're going back and forth between two teams in one session. If I, if you're going to do that, I would do it even possibly with two GMs, one for each group, if you wanted to do that. Yeah. Um, but I would set it up so it's one session is one group and another session is the other group. Right. I can totally see a red versus blue for this. That would be just absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> I I kind of I kind of need to see that. But yeah, a two GM system I can see as long as the GMs are conferring 
at some point taking notes yeah. about where their uh, players are and uh, absolutely yeah but i'm also thinking about like is it going to really matter what classes the different uh, characters are going to play in order for it to be balanced? I mean, technically, if it's a balanced system where all the characters are fairly well balanced, it's not going to I mean, unless they're going to be fighting each other, Yeah, I don't think it matters what classes they're going to have unless it's campaign-specific to uh, some goal that requires you needing a specific class. You like, mean, Well, you may need to set up uh, a wide variety of challenges that are not just necessarily one kind of combat scenario like if if it's puzzles or if it's uh you know reading ancient languages or dip- y- diplomatic options uh, yes and no i mean barbarians walk into a bar everything gets that's bashed. something for the party to overcome though and for you to tailor to being the party being able to do those things okay so I don't think you really need to be like, all right, we need to actually have a balanced party. It just needs to be, a, okay, so if you guys are all barbarians, I yeah. guess I should make it so it's capable of being solved by barbarians. Right. Okay. Excellent. By smashing it. Sure. Yeah. It just, you, you kind of can tweak what you're doing uh, or you're designing these things as you do them sure. to keep your party in mind. Okay. All right, so uh, we can customize that experience for the different players. But now if we're doing a dueling campaign, okay, and you have those two GMs, do we have to give the same challenges to... Yeah, exactly, dueling dueling banjo. If we're doing that, though, do we have to give the same challenges to both parties? No. Um, For the first reason I say no um, is because the parties might not be in the same location. True. So they won't necessarily come into the same challenges if they're nowhere near each other. That would kind of not make sense unless they're doing the exact same path and hitting the exact same notes and the DMs are just different and they're just doing the same thing. But that's just like playing a module with two different campaigns at that point. Um, I assume the parties would be in different locations having different things happen to them. However. That might also depend on what the characters decide to do like what right. happens if the one party and the other party take the same fork in the road or take, sure. take the forks that the way i personally envision it is that you've got the two parties going for a, the same or similar goal even if for different reasons yeah. say there's a treasure chest that they want to get to that's got a relic in it but one of them's coming from one side of a cave and the other's coming from the other side of the mountain mm-hmm. you know They've got different challenges getting there from different locations and along the way. Got it. Um, but the other thing is maybe they also don't have the same point in time. Oh, yeah. As okay. I think I've mentioned before, time shenanigans are really fun. Time crimes. <laughs> um, like we were talking before, I've had, I've had one party in a campaign mm. um, do things that affect the game world for later uh, time periods of that game world. And then the parties that took place in later periods or earlier periods uh, could affect or were affected by what happened. Yeah. I just just kept thinking to myself uh, when you were talking about time, that idea that it would be really interesting if you had those dueling campaigns, but you had the one party 
that was doing things like uh, like one year ahead of the other party. And so they they start, and whatever they do ends up being very much what the fallout is that the next party has to deal with. That they've, yeah. they've set the town on fire. Year later, the next party gets there. The town town's burned. burned down. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really fun because then it's like you can. The downside to that is the party that comes in afterwards is just dealing with the aftermath of this. Right. So, especially if there's a time lapse, yeah. there's nothing they're going to be able to do, really, unless you deal with time travel shenanigans. Sure. Uh, there's nothing they're going to be able to do to counteract that uh, beforehand. But but here's the thought. Here's the thought. If you're looking long game, this is this is what I'm thinking. That first party the one that came before, they're on a quest, right? And you assume that, like, you're kind of setting it up that at the end of this quest, the heroes end up doing essentially a bad thing that's probably going to end up uh, ruining a lot of stuff. And essentially, your heroes then become the villains that the group behind them now has to stop. Okay, but then it's, again, that doesn't necessarily become dueling campaigns. That's one campaign leading up into the events that the other campaign, after it, has to clean up. Right, right. So, I would instead, for me, time shenanigans being as they are, if I wanted to have that as a time differential, I would say there are points in time they could go back and swap and go back or forward to the period in time. Hmm with each other okay and deal with events as they happen for instance okay um, um the the other way if you wanted to do that just because time could be a little bit of a an odd factor if you're trying to keep things a little bit balanced uh because one is always going to have like the advantage of being ahead of stuff but you could do dimensional as well sure. uh, so that they're not really um they're they're diverging at a certain point and then you see what happens with that campaign in two very different directions sure and then see what the resolution is but by the time you get back to the resolution um the parties essentially kind of meet you've you've kind of created uh, a, a metric at the end where you know it, it feeds together and those dimensions cross back over into each other um, that's also an interesting idea uh, if you wanted to keep them separated. But personally, I don't really mind the idea of just having the one world in the same time frame, have those two parties going along, and if it turns out when the GMs are convening, it's like, oh, I guess my, my folks are in the same town your folks are at. We might just have to do a joint session all together. Right. I was going to say, that's the other thing you can always do, of course, is that type of game. And And I think that can be really fun uh, because you could set the parties up either as not knowing each other at all Mm. in the beginning and they just happenstance. And then they can either deal with each other and it could be the end of one campaign, for instance, Mm -hmm. as in hero, anti-hero, or two opposing parties fighting and see who comes out victorious if that's the end of the campaign. Mm. Um, or you could do it in a way that they start out as rivals, kind of like the beginning of a Pokemon game. It starts you out facing this person who is now your rival. And it's not your enemy. You're not trying to kill each other, but you're competing. Yeah. 
So a competition of that sort where you're like, all right, well, we're going to have a competition. Like maybe you set it up where it's like the king is granting land to the mightiest adventurers who can bring back relics. Right. So now you're scavenging for these like several unknown like lost relics that are rumored to be in a bunch of different locations. So it's like, all right, where do you want to go first? Where do you want to go first? You branch out, you start in different areas, you go to different ones, and you're eventually going to meet up at some point. Or you could maybe send people off, set traps for the other party to slow them down. Stuff yeah. like that. Um, then maybe you both head for the same relic at the same time, and you're going to have to go there and then fight for it if you meet up. Or maybe you see one of the other parties leaving it with the relic so you steal it from them. Sure. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. You could do something like that. Good times. Yeah. Good times. Great times. Oh, yeah. Create tension through the parties do being duplicitous with each other. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. Now, if you are able to kind of set that up with the GMs, too, it would be interesting to see if you almost tempt the parties to go, like, really against each other. Um, and and uh, to try and, and you know, uh, undermine their efforts in some ways. The only problem I can see, though, is that if you do have an, uh, a relationship where they might be interacting or the game world is more dynamic and interacting with each other, one party is technically always going to have an advantage if they're the ones having the session first before the other one. Aside from joint sessions, maybe. Maybe. Possibly. I don't, I don't see it as a huge problem if you do it right. Um, I think the biggest issue is making sure that both sides are having fun. Oh, yeah. Um, because if suddenly... <laughs> players don't typically like when you steal objects from them, for, for instance. No. So them finding out that the other party jacked their stuff... Two sessions later, finding out five mm-hmm. towns away... Oh, yeah. Not gonna be happy. You're, you're gonna have one party that actively wants to uh, destroy the other party because they're yeah. angry. They're just so it, it'll, it'll be fun as long as you can make that balance and as long as they don't take things personally sure um it's not an attack on the players themselves it's the characters doing what they would do and interacting with the other party as adversaries and rivals and trying to one-up them sure i mean in order to just not step over each other that's like that's all I'm thinking. It's like, if you if you look at tic-tac-toe, there's technically a whole thing where whoever goes first is technically always going to win. Like, even in chess, they have always said, like, the person who goes first is almost always going to win the game, assuming that you're on similar, like, uh, knowledge levels, because you have just made the first move. So the, the game is now essentially in your hands from the very beginning. Uh, and if you are of a similar level of skill, you are probably going to win. So right. if you're if you're not doing sessions all in one go, uh, ev- everyone's going to have. I mean, even in battles in the game, the person who has the highest initiative is probably going to be, uh, in some ways, having the real advantage because you're going to try to kill as many monsters as you possibly can before they can even take the opportunity to <laughs> to come back and fight. Um, now, your way of doing combat, though, 
might actually uh, work for that. Like, if you had a session... Because your way of doing combat was basically, like, the enemies can still act upon you because everything's happening at once. I would still do that if it's players versus player combat. Because then... You're not like, oh, I killed you in one hit. And they're like, uh, so I get to do nothing? It's like, yeah, you get to do nothing. You're dead. Sorry, bye. Yeah. No, you'd still be like, yeah, you can you can do stuff. And other players can do stuff. And you're not downed until the end of that round of combat. Right. Um, the, then the, the other thing that I'm thinking is you have the one group that meets and you have the other group that meets. But during those sessions, the, the one-to-one sessions, whatever the other team has done does not really come into play at all. Um, that's not really necessary. When the next sessions come around, then uh, you've, you have kind of notes from the other GM about what happened in their campaign. So now if something happens, you can reference it if it's something pertinent to what your people are doing. Right. Um, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't just be like, uh, oh, you did it in this session, and then over here, okay, there was a swarm of crabs apparently next to your camp. It was it was Crabageddon, and Crab-a-geddon. Uh, yeah, Crabageddon happened. Sorry, uh, and now you have you have no lobster rolls. It's all crabs all the time. Um, you'd have only to, crabs. It's only crabs. That is that is like OnlyFans, but for fishermen. Anyway, the point is <laughs> the point the point is. Uh, as long as you kept it to, like, uh, the, the actions or the, the effect of the cause doesn't take place until the next grouping of sessions instead of the one after the next after the next, you wouldn't have that step over. Uh, right. Yeah, so, so you can have that. Combat as well, just like that. Um, and even when they get to the crystal, if one team gets to, like, the magical crystal thing or whatever your objective is before we resolve that you take into account what the other team does and if they get there at the in in their same session now we have a joint session and you've both made it essentially at the same time right and as a games master you can always find ways to slow down or speed up your party without them really knowing about it that's right there was a magic so that if you, you just didn't know about it. So if you want to, say, have that climactic, oh, both of you are going for that last relic mm-hmm. at the same time. If you want to have that type of climactic tension-building uh, struggle right there between the two powers, you can you can cause that to happen. Oh, yeah. There just happened to be a hyperloop on your route. <laughs> or monsters attack the other party. Oh, yeah. Slowly. So they have to rest and recuperate. Yeah, they have to slow down, yeah. Or Rocks you, fell in their path. You happen to be near a train station. That's that's also a possibility. And you couldn't, and you tried really hard to run into the nine and three quarters platform, but you just bonked your head on the wall and fell over. Yep, it's too bad, folks. Just you're happened. not a wizard. You're just Harry. Yes, exactly. You're not. <laughs> and you got on the Hogwarts Express. Sorry. Um, I'm feeling a little haggard myself, so we should probably finish this up. Um, so I guess the question that we could probably pose to people, or at least the question I'd like to pose to people, is, is it better to have a dueling campaign of adversaries or allies? 
if we have uh, two, two, two opposing parties that are trying to do cooperative things in different places, or if they are actively trying to work against each other. The, uh, the other side of that question could also be, if you are going to have dueling parties or dueling campaigns uh, with two different parties mm. in the same world at different times, how would you best go about that? What are ways you might try to pull that off that could be interesting? Mm. How That's our that's our crit think for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll shorten it a little bit just to how would you do a dueling campaign? That's probably the, the, something I can fit in the little bar on top. How do you duel? How do you duel? Yeah, there you go. It's like, how do you do? How do you duel? Exactly. Okay, great. How do you duel? Uh, we, we don't know, uh, and this has probably told you that, but if you want to, please uh, either message us. We're over on Anchor, and you can find us on Discord as well. We'd love to hear from you. Now, that being said, this has been an episode of Total Pebble Knockdown. Uh, it we, has been. Yeah. I think we're, this is actually number 10. This is 10. We've made it. We made it. We made 10 it to whole digits. episodes. We made it to double digits. We can retire now. Now we can retire. We got Goodbye, all that, everyone. We got all that magical podcast money. <laughs> yeah. Our whole zero, zero. I mean, the podcast makes zero money, but you know. The pod. The, 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 the network makes uh, something. It makes something. A couple dollars. It keeps the digital lights on. That's the yes. important part. You know, I've been thinking. I hear people all the time on YouTube and whatnot, and, uh, you know, plugging their Patreons and all that stuff, and they're like, it keeps it helps keep the lights on. And I'm like, you're sitting in front of a screen reading it. And I, I understand that, yes, it, it does cost money for a lot of people to make videos and stuff, and I get that. And it's just like... But if you're doing this as a hobby, yeah, just for fun, mm-hmm. then you don't really need a lot of money to do it. Like, it's not a very high, unless you're doing crazy high budget production for a hobby, but... Right, right. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the equipment and everything will start costing you money, but if it's stuff that you use uh, in other places, like you yeah. use for other things, it's not necessary. It's just one of those things that I notice. I'm like, yeah. but we're doing it as a hobby it, does, it shouldn't be costing like anything as a hobby so like well hobbies do cost money i mean we are talking yeah. about hobbies that cost money <laughs> i guess that's fair if you think it's about- one of those weird dissonance things where i'm like but i do a podcast and right. like yes if we were getting paid for all the work we put in sure it would be costing a lot of money right but we don't get paid we just kind of do this Right, we just kind of do this. That's and then we uh, pretty and much we chain you in the basement, yep. literally, yeah, with a computer to edit, and then we chain Ray to the desk uh, yep. with her computer to produce content, do other things, and I just laugh from not being chained to the desk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we get it, we get out the whip. You produce more content, uh, and I I like, just stay on the social media and the and tinkering with the website stuff and that's so. a good place you're, you're good you're good at being uh at tinkering with uh, yourself anyway <laughs> so Anyways. alex alex if uh, folks want to see what you've been tinkering with yourself on where could they go don't just don't <laughs> that's the that's the only delve fans 
Would you like to tell people where oh, they boy. go? Oh boy, you can go to totalpebblenockdown.com. <laughs> yep, you you can. Um, don't worry, the other stuff's only for our Patreon folks. No, actually, I won't say that because then we won't get anyone on Patreon. Nobody wants to. Well, no, <laughs> then they'll just be disappointed when they go there and find that it's not there. Yeah, it's just not there. No, sorry, we don't, we don't do that kind of thing. I'm sorry. And the only Delve fans did not last even one day before we got kicked off everything in entirety. But that's fine because uh, we do have a Patreon where you can see full video. Uh, versions of these episodes before they even go up in segments. You can uh, find some bonus content on episodes when we have talked far too long and usually digressed at the beginnings and ends of these. And you can also find uh, early episodes of things like Citanium Mine and most of the articles and stuff that we have over there. So that's always good. And feel free to check out the website as well because we have a merchandise uh, piece on that as well as uh, showing you when our new live streams are going to be. Well, a lot of different things, new content. It's just stuff. Also. Check out the website. We don't need to tell you everything that's on it. Yeah. Go, go look at the site. <laughs> it's going to be a surprise. Surprise. Just, we'll surprise you. There's stuff on it. That's what we know. It's, it's the definitive edition it of, is the definitive place for all our content. Of Total Pebble Knockdown. Uh, find us on Anchor and any other podcast app that you might want to use. And you can find us on social media. I am at Citanium. I am at EXP Limited. And the show is at Pebble Knockdown. That's right. So if you need to knock down any pebbles, that's where you go. Uh, so... That has been an episode of the show, and I think that we already came up with about five other things that we could talk about on the next one. So, hey, that, Perfect. That's, a, that's a net win. Definitive editions. I kind of feel I like... they're going somewhere. Yeah, I think, that, I think they're really taking off. I think that we should create a definitive edition of this show so I could do less work. You know, Nathan, mm. we still need a channel trailer oh, and a podcast yeah. trailer. Oh, yeah. And I think... It should be the Total Pebble Knockdown Definitive Edition. Perfect. Putting it on my list. <laughs> it'll it'll be the Remember Delve? Well, we've got the Delve Definitive Edition. We just renamed it Total Pebble Total Knockdown. Knockdown. The Total Pebble Knockdown Edition of Delve. <laughs> that's what we named it. That's all we... You that's love all it? BK is Delve Plus. EPK is Delve Plus. It's Delve Plus, <laughs> yeah. It just, it, we, we rebranded so you just didn't notice. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, ending the show. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that was all stuff that's probably not going to be in the outro for the, the regular show. You'd be surprised. Anyway, thank you for joining us. I would us. not be surprised. <laughs> I've heard how much you don't edit the show. <laughs> thank you for joining us on this episode of Total Double Knockdown. We will see you next time, everybody. Goodbye. Seacrest, out. Out. <laughs> Yeah, just just cut some of that out for the um, for the audio only. That's all. We'll see. It would be fun if you had badly animated rocks trying to fall on top of you and go, "Oh no, not the rocks!" Do not worry. We are here to stop the rocks from falling on you. We'll we'll, we'll have to work on this. <laughs>
you saw Ghostbusters, right? With the yeah. The the oh, old yeah. Ghost, the original Ghostbusters. Oh yeah. Re- remember original Ghostbusters? They had the advertising in the thing of of their ads for Ghostbusters. Yeah. That. Okay. <laughs> Hold on, we don't have to move. The ghosts will call the Ghostbusters. <laughs> that was so great. It's underrated. It's an underrated moment in a popular movie. 